Okay, uh, my name's Ray Martin. My name is on the program, but even more than what I'm going to present will be presented by my colleague Mona Bormet, who's right right here. Uh, I'm the executive director of the organization called Christian Connections for International Health, CCIH, and I see a good number of CCIH members here. We're a network of Christian organizations working in health in developing countries, and we're also one of the co-sponsors or partners, they call them partners, of this Global Missions Health Conference. And uh, we, were, we were keen on... Uh, in talking about our experience in what we often call advocacy, which is something that a lot of participants in the Global Missions Health Conference have not thought a whole lot about. Some have, but a lot haven't. So we're going to be sharing some of our thinking and some of our experience with you today. Uh, Christian Connections for International Health is uh, a network, we're a membership association. I actually, I actually, <laughs> well, whenever I, <laughs> I have some of our brochures here and some membership forms too. So if, if any of you are not members and would like to join a big network, which uh, is currently 160 organizations, we have secular affiliates our organizational members are Christian organizations, and we have several hundred individual members as well. Our mission, we articulate as promoting global health and wholeness. Don't forget the wholeness from a Christian perspective. And we do that by sharing information and providing a forum for dialogue, networking, advocacy, fellowship, to the whole spe spectrum of Christians working in international health. And uh, we started out uh, 25 years ago. We've grown a lot through the years. And um, initially, our focus was information sharing and networking. We were trying to be a resource to Christian organizations working in health. We do not have service delivery programs. Our members are the, you know, the world visions of the world, the... Samaritan's Purses, the World Reliefs, International Aid is here. A couple other of our member organizations are, are here. They are the ones that have the service programs. And our, our mission is to encourage interaction, sharing of experience and best practice, and networking, connecting people together. That was the focus initially. Uh, a number of years ago, we were sort of tentatively wondering whether we shouldn't go beyond those initial functions and become more intentionally involved in what in the, the, ter the terminology commonly used in the Washington area where Moan and I both live in Northern Virginia is advocacy. And so you see there in our mission statement, in our recent strategic planning exercise, we added the word advocacy to our, our mission statement. Uh, and so, in a way, I think our organization was like many organizations present at the Global Missions Health Conference. You know, we think of ourselves as acting out of compassion with all that God has provided to provide services 
to poor, the poor and the needy to help. Uh, but we've come, we've come to the point that we think that we need to go beyond just that and to speak on behalf of the poor, be a voice for the voiceless, to work to try to understand what, what is it about the structures in our society, what is it about our policies that create a framework that allows poverty to persist. And so we now feel called as an organization to be engaged in advocacy. In this session, we want to talk briefly about why should Christians be involved in health policy and advocacy. And I will talk about that briefly. And then Mona is going to follow up. Mona is our project manager for our policy and advocacy work. And she's going to take over then and talk about some of the the global, or at least particularly our U.S. programs, federal programs in global health, what are some of the issues there, and then to talk about some of the tools that we as Christians can use in seeking to influence policy decisions about global health that have impact on the lives of people. And then we'll we'll, we'll see if we can discipline ourselves so we have time at the end for some uh, Q&A. And we hope that some of you can share as well. So we've come to the place, as I say, this was not where we started out, but we're at the place now that we see that advocacy is integral to our calling to ministry and discipleship. That is a part of what we as Christians are all about. And one definition I have here, and I, I should say that uh, the next couple slides I've borrowed pretty heavily from Adam Taylor, some of you may know Adam Taylor, who is the Vice President for Advocacy of World Vision, one of our members. So advocacy is a project or program or programmatic approach that seeks to address the structural and systemic causes of poverty by changing policies or systems or budgetary allocations, practices and attitudes that perpetuate inequality and that deny justice and human rights. So the idea is that we're called not only to provide succor to to help people who are in need, but to try to understand why they're in that situation in the first place or why, why are we in the situation that we're in? Why are we rich and other people are poor Try to understand something of those dynamics and then see where biblical principles apply to how we respond to those realities. And so certainly that involves justice. I mean, how can you read the Bible without having a concern for justice? Uh, They relate to the sustainability of our work because you know, if, if, if all you do is help people in need without figuring out and addressing why they're in need in the first place, uh, you're never going to get ahead. So you've got to try to understand some of those, uh, the issues and problems that lead to that in the first place. And then build movements for change. Organize ourselves both in our voice and our actions. And it it may be involved in getting involved in politics. It doesn't necessarily have to be 
partisan politics, but we need to get involved in public policy kinds of issues. Uh, we, we want to distinguish between the idea that we can choose, we can be faithful and choose that we're only going to involve serving people who are in need and not worry about being active in what leads to that need in the first place. We, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be thinking that it's one or the other. It's both. The same with charity and justice. You know, a lot, a lot of people, a lot of us, feel called to help people out of compassion, to be charitable to others. But it's, it's, a, different, it's a different challenge. It's a different Christian calling to look at the justice dimensions that lead to these inequalities in the first place. So um, this, the biblical basis for advocacy, Ad, Adam Taylor could easily do a, a one-hour session just on this slide, but uh, let me touch just on, on a few things. Um, certainly a reading of the, uh, the prophets in the Old Testament. You, you can, we don't use the term generally advocacy in talking about what the Old Testament prophets were doing, but that is what they were doing. They were speaking out to the kings about injustices in their society. So there's that, there's that really rich Old Testament experience, particularly in the prophets, and not just in the prophets. Some of the laws, the mosaic laws that were laid down, have very much to do with, with justice and equality and so forth. Uh, also, Jesus' teachings and Jesus' actions we don't ordinarily use the word advocacy in talking about what Jesus said and did in his ministry, but it's very easy to put an advocacy kind of label on the kind of ministry that, uh, that Jesus uh, conducted. And that involves being a voice for the voiceless. Uh, we're, we're in a rich country. You know, we're in a democratic country. We're in a country where we can speak out. We, we can write a letter to our congressperson. We can meet with their staff. We can meet with decision makers. A lot of people around the world who are affected by what, we, what our policies are don't have that uh, opportunity. So we're being called to be an intercessor to speak on their behalf. Uh, here's a statement from Martin, Martin Luther King that sort of states that, that the church is called not to be the master or the servant of the state, but to be the conscience of the state. So if we talk about getting involved in politics, it's not getting involved in the partisan kind of politics that most of us got a, uh, a fill of the last couple months, but it's, but it's being engaged in the public square, speaking out on, on issues that are consistent with our Christian values. Uh, this slide mentions just a few of the things that uh, some of us don't initially think of as areas that we should study and research and understand, but they really do are they really are at the root of much of what causes poverty. Issues like uh, economic structures. Uh, one society dominating another, or, or the strong or the rich making the policies that 
affect the lives of everyone else. Uh, certainly, certainly violence, powerful countries. And, and sometimes, you know, we as Americans may sometimes have to sort of reevaluate re some of our own national policies and our attitudes as Christians towards some of our own national policies uh, and the way we use our military might around the world. And exclusion from community, there's a, always that tendency that the, the powerful and the rich, uh, they, they make the rules of the game to favor their own interests, and it's often at the expense of the, uh, of the poor. So I think I will uh, stop there and let Mona take over and talk about some of the issues and then some of the tools that we in the advocacy community commonly use and invite you to engage in as well to try to address some of these root, root causes. So it's time for more chocolate. That's the basket. <coughs> Hi. This is bad because I like to move around also. So. But it'll give you a little leeway. Is that going to stay? No, that's not good. Complicated. <laughs> the technology is pretty neat, but you do something um, So, hi, I'm Mona. I work with Ray, like he said. Thanks for all coming, for being interested in policy. Um, I wanted to give a kind of practical approach. Ray started us off with a biblical basis for why we should care about policy. Why, as health professionals, that's what I'm going to call us in the room, should care. My background's in public health. Um, and the reason I think we should care about policy is because of people. We do what we do at CCIH because of our 160 membership organizations, our 300 individuals, and the work they do and the stories they tell us. So each of these people on the slide is related to a member of our organization, and they have told us a story that really affects us. Um, in the upper left-hand corner is a story about um, basically orphans and vulnerable children in Haiti, the middle slide is from a clinic in Uganda. The bottom left is just a picture, uh, ooh, a picture of a pastor um, at our conference. The woman in the middle is from Kenya and is talking about HIV. And the man in the lower right is from Liberia, and he's a Pentecostal preacher who spoke at our conference this past year about the issues dealing with men and engaging men in the church in healthcare. Um, so very powerful stories. Um, the picture in the upper right, if you can't tell, that lovely woman is me. Um, and my mother and my brother and my brother's dog. <laughs> um, and the reason I include this picture is I feel like you guys come to this, you don't know who I am. And so I wanted to tell you a little bit story of why I believe that advocacy is so important and why I am an advocate. My mother is Korean and I grew up um, being an advocate for her. My mom, I speak to my mom in English. She can perfectly take care of herself. Um, but there are a lot of people in this country when someone has a slight accent, treat her differently. Um, and I have grown up being that advocate for her, going to doctors, taking care of her Medicare and Medicaid at times. My mom had a brain aneurysm when I was in high school, and I was the person that went to the hospital every day and made sure they understood what she was saying, even though she was speaking English. Um, so I firmly believe in the power of advocacy, whether it's um, in the community setting or in 
the U.S. Congress, whatever it may be. And so after grad school, I moved to D.C. to be a fellow on the Hill, and I worked for a member of Congress on um, her health committee, and it was a great experience. I learned how it works, you know, the power, the sexiness of Capitol Hill, um, the craziness of Capitol Hill. Um, and so I just tell you all this, that, that is, that's why I'm here and that's why I do the work I do, um, because it's because of the people. So that's my story. So also why do we do this? We do this because we hear stories about challenges. What are our communities facing all around the world? There's communicable diseases, there's non-communicable diseases, um, there's transportation issues. Um, the lower right corner has a statistic about how far a person has to go to reach a hospital, 2,500 miles. So for those of you familiar with the Pacific Islands, Samoa, um, Guam, all those islands, a lot of them don't have health care resources. They have to go to the Philippines or Hawaii or New Zealand um, to reach health care resources. Like, that's crazy, you know, just things like that. And, and our man in Liberia, the pastor from Liberia, was talking about, you know, the rainy season in his country and how that wipes out roads and then how do you carry people. And I don't think I'm telling you anything you don't know. But these are also reasons that we are advocates for our members that work all around the world here in the U.S. Because the U.S. has a foreign affairs budget. So we want to be a Christian voice for how that budget should be spent. So another reason to take action. Often Ray and I and our colleagues, when we go into a room in Washington, D.C., are sometimes the only Christians in the room, the only faith-based voice in the room. That can be a good thing. That can be a really annoying, frustrating time after time after time being the only faith-based voice in the room. But we take the responsibility seriously, um, and we really try to communicate what we're hearing from our members to the people in the room, whether it's a coalition about HIV, whether it's a maternal child health coalition, whether it's on the Hill, whether it's talking to USAID or the State Department. Um, that is why we are advocates and why it's important to take action. Um, we have a YouTube site, and the woman on the right, her name is Joy Makare, and she's the executive director of Christian Health Association of Sudan. So she's based in Juba in South Sudan, and, I mean, that's why I take action. I hear her stories. I spent an hour and a half just listening to her tell me one story at our conference this year, at the CCIH conference. And it's just amazing about what is going on in South Sudan um, and that the people in the United States often don't understand the role that Christians have in that country, that Christians have all around the world. And so, once again, I'll just continue to say that is why I'm an advocate. I'm an advocate for people like Joy. And in many countries, how many here have ever heard of the African Christian Health Association platform? No? So in Africa specifically, there are certain countries that have Christian Health Association. So Christian Health Association of Kenya, anyone? Christian Health Association of Zambia, of Nigeria. So they're all around Africa, and together they make up this platform. Um, and in many of the countries, 30% or higher of health care services is provided by Christians by their clinics, by their hospitals. Um, and that is another reason it is important for me to be an advocate in the United States is to spread the word about the work that Christians are doing and why we're doing it. Ray talked about that biblical basis, that we feel it is a calling for the work you all are doing. I hope that's what you feel. I feel that you're called to come to this conference to learn and that you're called to perhaps work in the mission field or to work as health professionals. And I feel that I'm called to do what I'm doing during this season of my life. The other reason I think it's important, and if I, didn't, if I learned anything during my time on Capitol Hill, is that democracy is not a spectator support. You can't sit there quietly and expect people to listen to you. It um, doesn't mean you have to be loud and obnoxious like me, but you do have to have a voice. Um, 
because decisions are made. If you don't say anything, decisions are still made. So you have to have a voice. So here's what's going on in Congress right now. We just had an election. Hopefully you all know that. Um, hopefully you all participated. Um, but before the election even happened, the U.S. Congress has two chambers. What are the chambers of the U.S. Congress? Senate and what? Okay, so there's two chambers. And they each have to pass a bill about how we spend our money. And basically what, what happened is the numbers that came out of both those bills are very different. So what happens is the chambers each pass a bill, and then they have to come together um, and pass a bill together. So right now, that hasn't happened. Everything is waiting till after the election. Hopefully that will happen during what they call a lame duck Congress, which will happen November, December. We really want that to happen because other thing, otherwise things with sequestration that you've been hearing in the news, blah, 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 will happen. I'm not going to get into that because it's really complicated, um, and it will take too long. So that's the fact. That's what's going on right now. Um, but what are Christians doing about that? What are people who are advocates doing in Washington, D.C.? There's this group called the Washington Interreligious Staff Community, WISC, and it's made up of a whole bunch of different religious organizations that um, are advocates in the D.C. area, or they don't have to be based in D.C. And these are all the areas they cover. So everything from food, education, water, um, global health, climate change, violence, etc. And they're putting together this document right now. We actually sent our portion to the draft in today about global health um, that they're going to give to the new administration or the continuing administration and to every member of the U.S. Congress to say, these are what Christians think about these issues, that we think it's important to provide hunger and food security, that we think preventing violence and protecting human rights is important. So that's a way that we as Christian organizations on the national level advocate for programs that we think are really important. So that's just an example. So, can everyone see the slide? Some of the people, you might want to move in closer if you can. But basically it says, Lenny discovers the source of all our problems. And then what does the door say? Okay, so I'm not saying, I love our government. I'm just saying, this is funny, I wanted to show the slide. Next slide. So, um, everyone, can you see the slide? So if we think there are problems in our policy systems, we need to be advocates. We need to know what to change. So once again, I am not saying I'm a Democrat or Republican. I'm just using the slide because I think it's funny um, to make a point. You know, do we want the same old thing or do we want change? So if we want to change something, we have to be advocates for that change. We can't complain about something and then not do anything about it. That's the most annoying thing. If you're going to complain to me and not do anything, I don't want to hear you complain. So as an advocate, these are all the different things that you can do. You can speak up. You can write in support of a cause. You can plead on behalf of another person. That's basically what I'm doing when I go to Capitol Hill. I'm pleading on behalf of our members, for members of Congress and their staff, to pay attention to what our Christian organizations are doing. Um, I talk to elected officials or people running for office. Um, you can attend and speak up at town hall meetings. You can visit, write, or call your legislators. Um, you can participate in events at the state or national capital, develop posters, public service announcements, newsletters. Has anyone ever done any of this? Yes? Who? I can't tell. In the green? What have you done? Yeah. You've written? Okay. That's great. Anybody else, sir? Okay. That's great. Any, what about this side of the room? In the back, everyone? <laughs> We, we introduced family medicine in the country. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay, what country, sir? India. In India? Very great. Um, who else had their hand raised? I'm sorry, sir. Um, visit legislators. You visit? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Senator Luger is a great champion for international health. We're sad he's leaving the Senate. Uh, um, so keys to success. So if these are all the different things you can do, what is really going to make it helpful? What's going to make it work? So this is what we know, and I borrowed this from someone, and I quote them, is that we know systems make it possible, people make it happen, and leadership makes it work. So that's what I'm going to talk about a little. And if we want to balance all these, this is how it works. Who you know equals what you know, and how to make it happen balances it all. So that's what I'm going to cover for the rest of the time. So who do you know? Who do you see daily, weekly, monthly? Who are your friends? Who's your family? Who do you hang out with? Um, what do you have in common with them? Who do you talk to if you want something done? Do you know anyone in the media? That's what I mean by who you know. So does anyone here work for a newspaper or have a friend that works for a newspaper or a blog or something like that? Anyone? Who's your contact? Is it you? Do you have a blog? You have a blog. What do you blog about? Um, I just moved into the inner city of Mexico. That's very cool. Are you going to blog about this? <laughs> just giving you a hard time. Okay. So who you know? So now we're going to have a little elected official pop quiz. You're going to have to raise your hand. Can you name your two U.S. senators? Oh, you don't count. <laughs> Who can? You gotta raise your hand. Be proud. Be proud, ma'am in the brown. What state are you from? Okay, I need an assistant because I can't move. Please give this woman this. Who can name oh. their U.S. representative? <laughs> yes, sir. John Boehner. John Boehner. Where are you from, sir? Ohio. Ohio. All right. <laughs> Who can name their state assembly member or representative? Can you give this to this gentleman right here? Sir or ma'am? Okay, where do you live? Okay, how am I going to check that? I recognize all the other names. No, I'm joking. Okay, I'm going to believe you. All right, who can name their state senator? Oh, no, it was the, the lady in the back. Sorry. From Minnesota, sir. Where are you from, sir? Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio. Okay, who can name their mayor? I ran out of prizes, sorry. From? Where are you from, ma'am? Okay. Um, who can name their county supervisor? <laughs> no one? All right. Who can name their city council members? Anybody? No? What about your school board president? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. All right. Cincinnati? Okay. Any school board presidents? Where are you from? Okay, very good. So some people are really... Now, who knows how to contact specifically their U.S. member of Congress, their senator or representative? Yes, sir. How do you, how do, you do it? Uh, it's, it's the contact information available on the web. It is. Okay. So has everyone done that? So how many of you here have smartphones? All right, I know the Internet kind of in the building is hard. But right now, if you have a smartphone, I want you to go to congress.org, 
And for those of you who did not know who your member of Congress is, what you do is you put your zip code in this right-hand corner of the box, and it tells you every single person that represents you, from your U.S. senator down to your mayor, all of that. So that's your homework assignment. I'm going to let you do that while I talk. It's very exciting. If you don't have a smartphone, maybe the person next to you would help you, or maybe you could just go home and do it. It's very exciting. How many of you have ever heard of Schoolhouse Rock? Yeah, right? It's fun. So it used to be available online, but Disney took the rights away, so I can't, like, go to YouTube and show this to you. It's very sad. Um, and I forgot my Schoolhouse Rock CD, so I do have one. It's very exciting. Um, I encourage you to all, how many have seen this? I'm just a bill, just a little bill. Fun, right? So this is how I like to teach people how a bill becomes a law, because everything else is really dry and boring, so I'm sorry that I can't show you this. Um, but you should get a group of friends together and watch this. It's very fun. They have all, you can learn math. You can learn other things, but this is the fun part. Um, so now that you know who you know and you know how it works because you've learned how a bill becomes a law, you've got to make it happen. You've got to advocate, right? So I'm going to give you some examples of what we've done at CCIH. Um, we have our conference every year in June, and this year and last year after our conference, we had an advocacy day. So this year, we had 39 people representing 13 states and 8 countries visit 24 members of Congress. Um, what it took, we needed money to pay for people to come um, and lots of logistics. But here are just some photos. So the photo in the middle is the group of us who went. Um, there's a photo on the left. Uh, the bottom left is a member of Congress's staff with a woman from Nigeria, um, our former board president from Medical Teams International, and Dr. Douglas Huber, who's our co-chair of our family planning working group. And then the lower right has Daniel from Liberia, Pam from Iowa, Joy from Sudan, Amy, my coworker, and Regina from Compassion International in Colorado. So lots of different people representing lots of different organizations. So something to consider if you ever come to D.C., I'd be happy to take you to the Hill and show you how it works, help you set up meetings. Another way to advocate is through media. So how many of you have ever, ever heard of the Relevant Magazine or Reject Apathy? Some of you, not very many of you, you can go check it out online. So Relevant Magazine is kind of a justice-oriented magazine, and then Reject Apathy as a part of it focuses on rejecting apathy, which I think relates really well to our keynote speaker um, this afternoon. But what we did is we worked with Joy Mukare in Sudan, and we wrote an article about what's going on with mothers and children in Sudan. Um, and it got published last year. And then um, Dr. Henry Mosley, who's a professor at, or professor emeritus at Hopkins, um, is a member of CCIH and is on our Family Planning Reproductive Health Working Group. And he wrote an article that got published in the Washington Post about on Mother's Day, the gift of family planning and why family planning is important for mothers and children um, on Mother's Day. So things like that, we try to advocate, we try to have timely pieces. Um, so those are just some examples. Another example, and this is an example of international advocacy. So we're an international organization. We do a lot in the U.S. Um, but Ray and a few other people were involved a couple years ago with an organization called the German Foundation um, and Mohammedia. They joined together, and Mohammedia is a Muslim organization. They got together in Kenya, and they were talking about how, as groups of different religions, what do we really think about family planning and how can we advocate for it? Um, and they came up with this consensus statement where everyone agreed on it and how they define family planning and what that looks like, regardless of your religion across religious grounds. 
Um, and it has 200 signatories, and we try to get more people to sign on to say that they support it. And so that's a form of advocacy. And this is something that you can use when you go to different ministries of health in different countries to say, these people all over the world, these organizations believe that this is what family planning is. So it's just another example. So my challenge to you is, when you leave today, what is your action step going to be? Are you going to collect a story from someone that you work with around the world? Are you going to think about when you were on a mission trip, what is that story, and how are you going to take that and turn that into something that you can use? Are you going to write a letter to your member? It's easy to do. You go online. Are you going to call the office and say, hey, I think international affairs funding is really important because how much, how much of the U.S. budget is for international affairs? Less than 1%. Average American public thinks that the international affairs budget is over 30%. It's less than 1% of our budget. So it's important to call our members of Congress and say, hey, we think international affairs funding is important. Um, what are other things you can do? Has anyone ever invited their member to come speak at an event for their organization? Yeah? Who said yes? Where, sir? Yeah, oh, both of you. We asked our senator to speak at our Good Samaritan Health Services moment. Did he? Or did she? He did. Oh, wonderful. Okay. What about you, sir? I invited three members, uh, three politicians. None of, them, none of them made it. None of them came. Did someone of their staff? They all sent a very polite uh, <laughs> apology. Okay. Staff. Okay. How many of you here live in Kentucky? Oh, man. Okay. Do you know who your senators are for Kentucky? No? McConnell? Okay. Do you know that Senator McConnell and his wife supposedly go to this church? Yes. So supposedly when they're in town, they go to this church, and um, we were really surprised when we found out that uh, about that last year. So Amy, my coworker, who's also from Kentucky, we go to Senator McConnell's office in D.C., and we say, hey, we're going to a conference in your state. Do you know about it? And the staffer says, well, I think my boss goes to that church. I'm like, well, does he know about this conference? And supposedly they didn't know about the conference. And so this year... Um, Amy invited the staff, the Louisville staff, to come, and they came yesterday, and they met with Will Rogers, who organizes this conference, and they met with Amy, and he walked around the exhibit hall and looked at some of the exhibits, because that's an important part. We want their staff to know that there are people living in the state of Kentucky that care about global health, right? So that's just an example. So once again, how many of you are on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, any of that? So I challenge you, follow us. Be our friend. Like us. We have videos. We have lots of good information. Our YouTube site has presentations from our last few conferences, so you can check that out. And this is my thank you. I'm going to leave it on that. And I'm going to say thank you. I wanted to leave plenty of time for Q&A, so I'm sorry if I sped through that. I'm from Chicago. I talk really fast. <laughs> so um, who in this room has gone on? Just Arnie, are you the only person that's gone on Hill Visits with me? Was it scary? So it's okay. Arnie participated in our advocacy day. He was in that lovely picture earlier. But we want to leave plenty of time for Q&A for you guys to talk to Ray and I. Any questions? Yes, ma'am. You mentioned becoming members. Mm -hmm. uh, is that something that's available to just the individual, not an organization? Mm -hmm. Yes. What's involved with that and how much does it cost? It's $25 for students for a year, $50 for individuals, and then your organization rate is like a... What's the best way to, like a slide? It's graduated from yeah. 100 up to $1,000 for a big world vision. Yeah. Yeah. 
mean, I have. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Yes, we're, we're, we're ready for anybody who's, yeah. <laughs> who would like to join CCIH, either as an individual or mm -hmm. as an organization. Yeah. So, and it's all online, of course. Sir. And then, I don't know what co color your shirt is. Blue-ish? Yeah. Gray? Yeah. So, what types of, like, initiatives or bills have you, like, So, I'm sorry I didn't explain that. CCIH is a nonpartisan organization. We are not lobbyists. So to lot, like an example would be if I were to lobby a bill, I would go in and I would say, I want you to vote yes or no on this. CCIH doesn't do that. We are an advocate, so we educate. So when I go into a member of Congress, and I'm educating them on our different members and what they do, and I'm saying we think X, Y, Z is important. So we think water and sanitation is important. Please don't leave that out of, you know, the funding for foreign affairs or whatever that might be. But we don't ever say please vote yes or no on a bill. So the member of Congress might say, or the staff might say, well, how do you want me to vote on this? And we say, we can't say that. We just think you should be very supportive of foreign affairs. Now, other organizations, of course, can do that. You as an individual could do that. But CCIH as an organization is not a lobby. It does. I mean, that's the whole reason for going is to be that voice in the room to say we think it's important. Because I, so I worked in an office, and whenever someone came to visit me, I had to write a memo. I had to write what they asked for, what they wanted, and like we keep track. This many people call our office to talk to us about this. This many people do this, um, and it makes a difference if you're from that member state or district. Like when I go, so I'm from Illinois. I've lived in Minnesota. I've lived in Georgia, and I live in Virginia. So I can maybe go to those four states and talk semi-reasonably. But other than that, oh, and my mom lives in Iowa, so I can go to five states. And let, let me give two examples. Yeah. You know, PEPFAR, I, most of you probably know that PEPFAR is the big, uh, I think if I, yeah, PEPFAR is the big organization. It doesn't matter? Okay. Uh, the, the big U.S. support for AIDS programs overseas. PEPFAR was initially announced in the State of the Union address in 2003 by President Bush. Mm -hmm. And it stunned. I was involved in AIDS mm -hmm. activities for a long time before that. John Barnshaw and some others here I know are too. And we were stunned by his putting in his uh, State of the Union speech a commitment for the U.S. to fund AIDS programs internationally mm -hmm. at, the, at the level of $15 billion over mm -hmm. the next five years. Because up until then, AIDS programs, you know, we, we, we were talking about trying to get millions or maybe hundreds of millions. And it was a game changer when Bush committed and, and the bipartisan Congress appropriated the funds. Actually, over five years, it was more than $15 billion, mm -hmm. And now it's reauthorized. Uh, there's very little question that the influence of Christian values and faith-based organizations on President Bush and his advisors were very, very influential because there was no, there was no obvious partisan political reason for Bush mm -hmm. to commit to this. Mm -hmm. It was not to gain votes, even though it's ended up being one of the most popular things he's ever done. <laughs> yeah. But at the time, that, that was not perceived mm -hmm. as the motivation. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was the testimony of Christians, and of course, you know, Bush, Bush is sensitive to that kind of uh, advocacy on, from people like us, 
But it was it was people like us telling the president that if we commit big time to AIDS, we can save millions of lives. That we have the technology, we now have the drugs, which we didn't have 15 years ago or 20 years ago. And and Bush was influenced mm-hmm. to do that. Another very contemporary example. Uh, some of our members who are very well connected in conservative Republican political circles in Washington uh, were very concerned about some of the voices in the Republican Party that focused only on the deficit, Mm -hmm. our funding issues, Mm -hmm. and never had much international experience or exposure (laughs) to the realities of, of life in developing countries who were quite primed to drastically cut development assistance Mm -hmm. and programs for AIDS, for example, or global health. And so these colleagues of ours, and we were, they would have involved us, we weren't the ringleaders on this, were already, they had a a meeting set up with some of the top people in the Romney campaign, which they were expecting would be the, the transition team. Well, it didn't work out that way to bring together uh, a whole group of high-level religious leaders to tell these people not not to worry about cutting funding, but as they cut funding, if that's what they were going to do, uh, not to go overboard in cutting development assistance funding. So these, these are two examples that I cite of how we in the faith community, in the Christian community, can be a voice for the voiceless, mm-hmm. and do it in a way that, that affects outcomes. Mm-hmm. You know, Mo- Mona was talking about why are we doing this? It's, it's because of people. Mm-hmm. And it, it does make a difference. We're, we're hearing this all mm-hmm. the time, that it does make a difference. That's, that's how our democracy is supposed to work. We don't have a perfect democracy, democracy by any <laughs> means in this country, but it, mm-hmm. it's not a completely imperfect democracy either. I saw some other hands, sir. Um, in discussing the biblical case regarding poverty, <laughs> one of the most interesting documents I think has been in the paper, paper the book called St. Pesimus Annus. There is an exposition of this in a book called Doing Well and Doing Good by Richard Chandler. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I don't hardly ever hear Protestants refer to this. <laughs> But the thing that makes it different from what I usually hear is that it bases the case on um, from Genesis and our creation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot to be said about poverty and the rest of the Bible that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know anybody in Protestant churches who has actually made that case? It has to do with the basic nature of humanity and uh, being mm-hmm. made in the image of God. And I think his mm-hmm. arguments are very powerful. To be honest, I, I'm, not a re, I'm not a theologian. <laughs> I'm a very imperfect person to make a <laughs> case for advocacy. But, uh, but, but I know that, that theme, I do yeah. hear that, that yeah. theme, uh, and, and, and I hear it in Republican con- conservative circles too, mm-hmm. conservative Protestant mm-hmm. circles. It's not just, you know, sometimes, sometimes it seems as though some of the more progressive or liberal, if you want to use that, I don't like that word, but you know what I mean, 
are the ones that are more attuned to the importance of advocacy as part of our Christian witness. But but I, I do hear in conservative Protestant circles, too, uh, that part of the rationale for caring is that all of us are created in the image of God. And so our advocacy, our voice, with the rich and powerful, we sometimes overlook that, is based on our theology that we're all uh, common creatures of our creator. But as far as the theologians, there, there probably are, but I, you know, if you, I'd, I'd be glad to sort of hunt around <laughs> to see if we could identify, but offhand, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Vino? Um, thank you, Mona. Uh, she talked about um, developing social capital for advocacy. She talked about uh, political connections, but uh, evidence base is very important. Producing enough evidence for advocacy is important. That means researching. And also, um, best practices. You know, mm-hmm. if we demonstrate best practices, mm-hmm. I think that goes a long way again. Yeah. We have to know what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Any documents that we bring to the Hill are always based on facts. So that's why I said we don't say vote yes or no on the bill, we educate. So when we go to talk about HIV or whatever the topic is, we bring evidence of not only programs our members are doing, but, you know, these are the results from the program evaluation X, Y, and Z. This is why we think it's important that Christians are involved and that they're funded, things like that. Okay, who? Someone new. Sorry, I'll ask you first. Um, I think a lot of us are somewhat discouraged by the seeming degeneration of Christian principles <laughs> in the country. And I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on specific things we can rally behind, <laughs> things that we can do specifically to promote rallying behind Christian principles. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly the water stuff, and that's, that's yeah. all great. But in terms of kingdom focus. I don't have an easy answer to that question. Um, as you know, probably in this room, there's Christians of all sorts of different denominations, um, and how those denominations or groups decide to advocate on the Hill and what principles they advocate for are different. Um, it's much easier for us as an organization to rally around a health area than it is around a specific principle. But I would say that group, that WISC coalition I mentioned, their entire premise is support poverty, you know, support what the Bible tells us about helping the poor. And so everything that they develop in their document is based on that principle. So I don't know if that's an, the best example, but, yeah. Yes. My, my question is, I guess, very related yeah. is, you know, what then distinguishes what we advocate for mm-hmm. from a purely secular basis mm-hmm. or from, uh, say, a Muslim basis or mm-hmm. another religion? What is unique about the Christian witness then on the Hill? Yeah, that when I go into a meeting, I say I'm a Christian, and I say that I'm called to do this work because of what the Bible tells me and the, less, the teachings of Jesus, and that that's why I do this, and that's what I believe in. So I think that's that's what you do when you go into a meeting. Yeah. yeah. Let, let me add yeah. one point there. Um, sometimes in, in our meetings with, uh, with people on the Hill, we don't very often get to talk to actual senators or members of the uh, members of the house. Although we do sometimes, mm-hmm. it's more typically with their staffers. Mm-hmm. Although it's interesting that it, the staffers' influence over the votes of their bosses is considerable. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I don't want to give the impression that if you talk to a congressional staffer, 
it doesn't have any impact. Yeah. It very often does. Because mm -hmm. there's so many bills to vote on that the, the voters often rely on their staff to tell them how to, uh, how to vote. But, uh, but uh, I've heard, I've, we, 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 I don't, I'm sure you hear it, Mona does a lot more of this than I do, but I, I do enough too. And, and uh, very often the advocate, in the advocacy world, you, you prepare for maybe 15 minutes with the staff because they're busy. Everybody wants, everybody wants to talk to them. Mm -hmm. It is not uncommon at all. In fact, it's quite common for us to go in with the meeting expecting to be there for 15 minutes, and we're there for a half an hour or 45 minutes. And I think one of the differences sometimes is that most of the people, most of the advocates or lobbyists who are coming to talk to them are coming for their own personal or, or organizational agenda. And they see us as different. We're, we're not trying to get more money for ourselves or power for ourselves. We're, we're speaking on behalf of other people mm -hmm. whose lives are impacted mm -hmm. in what, to some extent, like, like with the AIDS thing, it's a life or death thing. Mm -hmm. And so they see that as a very, very refreshing contrast to the kind of uh, people who are typically knocking on their doors, mm -hmm. pushing their own agendas. Yeah, I will say just to follow up, um, if any of you ever are work for an organization and you have your members come in from other countries, um, when I bring someone from another country to Capitol Hill, we've had hour and a half meetings before. We go in for 15 minutes and they talk to us forever because they're so interested to hear from the person directly what's going on in other countries. So, sir. I uh, think sometimes we underestimate how large our voice is. Yeah. Um, there is a very known liberal uh, editorialist for the New York Times named Nicholas Kristof. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm going to read a quote if you give me, if you don't mind. Yeah. Two no. Seconds. Yeah. Evangelicals are disproportionately likely to donate 10% of their incomes to charities, mostly church-related. More important, to go to the front lines at home or abroad mm -hmm. in the battles against hunger, malaria, prison, rape, obstetrical fistula, human trafficking, genocide. And some of the bravest people you meet are evangelical Christians or conservative Catholics, similar in many ways, who truly live their faith. I'm not particularly religious myself, but I stand in awe of those risking their lives in this way. And it sickens me to see that faith mocked at New York cocktail parties. And then it was first off. Yeah. Right. He, he's I, a powerful I advocate. follow him now mm -hmm. like you can't believe yep. because he's written a book called Half the Sky, yes. which is all about what we're doing mm -hmm. here. And he is fascinating in the way he uh, absolutely embraces the community that we are at this conference, mm -hmm. and yet is personally a very you know, liberal. I mean, he's, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's an interesting answer to that young man's question yeah. down there about mm -hmm. what do we have to bring? Mm -hmm. We got a lot to bring. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's <laughs> very true. Thank you. For Thank you for reading that. Um, I want to recognize that we're over time, so I encourage you at the, each end there's a fact sheet on some of the family planning specific advocacy we do. That's not the only advocacy we do, of course. And on the first floor exhibit hall on the far left, we have two booths. So please come see Ray and I and um, our colleague Amy. Thank you. I have some of our brochures here that I'll put in this chair that you can pick up.